X Talks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This food industry-focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to help keep you up to date. This week on the show, we're discussing robot dishwashers solving food service labor shortage and Abbott baby formula under investigation by the Department of Justice. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Xtalks Food Podcast. I'm Sydney Perlmutter, Senior Food Industry Journalist and Webinar Moderator at Xtalks.com, and this week I'm joined by Aisha Rashid, Vera Kovacevic, and Sarah Hand. Thanks for coming today. So I'm going to start us off with a story about a major investigation that's going on um, having to do with the baby formula shortage a couple months back. So you've probably heard of Abbott Laboratories. It's known for its um, medical devices and healthcare products, and it is currently under investigation by the U.S. Department of Justice following the closure of its Michigan plant uh, that produces baby formula back in February 2022. The criminal investigation looks into Abbott's unsanitary workplace conditions that fueled the nation's worst baby formula shortage in decades. Now, according to an Abbott spokesperson via the Associated Press, the Justice Department has informed Abbott of its investigation and the company is, quote unquote, fully cooperating fully. Um, And that is all the information that the spokesperson uh, was was willing to provide. Um, but this in this article, I'm just talking about, you know, how did the world's leading baby formula producer get here? So, like I said, the closure of the Abbott baby formula plant last year resulted in one of the worst shortages in recent history. And Abbott, which is the maker of Similac and other popular baby food brands, was forced to recall several powdered infant formulas and stop production after the FDA found evidence of unsanitary conditions. So health officials found bacteria at the plant that can potentially cause deadly infections in babies. Now, the Abbott baby formula plant was reportedly contaminated with um, this germ that I'm going to attempt to pronounce called Chronobacter sakazaki. Uh, Now, this is a germ that can be found in dry foods and cause blood infections and meningitis in infants. So the FDA reported that two infants were hospitalized and later died after they contracted a bacterial illness from the germ after consuming the formula, saying the illness, quote, may have contributed to the infant's death. In April 2022, Abbott submitted a corrective action plan to the FDA shortly after, um, and it agreed to take several actions to remedy the problem, including hiring an independent expert to review its operations. The plant reopened in June um, and briefly had to shut down for several weeks uh, because of flooding from storms, and then it resumed production in July. The FDA investigated reports that as many as nine children had died after consuming um, formula from Abbott's plant, although it could not definitively link the plant to the deaths. And Abbott denied that its formula contained the bacteria following the results of routine testing it conducts before the formula is distributed, saying in a statement that its focus has and will always be to ensure safe food for families. Now, by May, major retailers like CVS, Target, and Walgreens limited customer purchases of baby formula as nationwide shortage, as the nationwide shortage intensified and was made worse by COVID-19 related supply chain issues. In August, Abbott announced it would restart production of Similac at its Michigan plant and produce 8 million pounds of formula that month. 
But after this, I asked the question, will Abbott ever recover? So according to a 2011 USDA report, Abbott Laboratories made up 43% of baby formula market sales, followed by Mead Johnson, which made up another 40%, and then Nestle, which made up another 15%. However, Abbott's shares have fallen nearly 7% since it was recalled, uh, since, since the recall was issued, uh, when shares were around 120 each. Abbott relies on the success of its wide range of consumer and professional products from nutrition and diabetes care to diagnostics and medicine. So while the outcome of the DOJ investigation remains to be seen, in my opinion at least, it is unlikely that Abbott's overall earnings will suffer long term. But when it comes to the trustworthiness of Abbott's baby formula, some blame the FDA for its inability to oversee the country's food supply chain. An independent review that was conducted by the Reagan Udall Foundation found that the FDA, quote unquote, lacks the resources and authority to do what it is expected to do, ensure the safety and availability of food on the market. So the investigation into Abbott uh, baby formula plant comes as the FDA announced a draft guidance for action levels for lead in processed baby foods. The guidance is part of the agency's Closer to Zero initiative, which sets forth the FDA's approach to continually reduce exposure to heavy metals in foods eaten by babies and young children. But as for, you know, this investigation um, that resulted or, or at least was a major contributor to the baby formula shortage, I wanted to know, um, you know, given all of this information, uh, who who do you think is to blame? Is 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 the FDA to blame? Is the company to blame? Um, and yeah, I mean, it's it's baby food. This is really important. This isn't just like a one individual item like uh, that that was a shortage. This is people rely on this, um, and it was a major major issue. So who who is to blame, and and how can we stop things like this uh, in the future? I yeah, I think that there's a lot of. Um issues here and I don't know if you can lay blame on on one party um, I'd be interested to see you know if they find um, evidence of that contamination uh, how it got there and I'm wondering if uh, a big part of this um, is the FDA's inability to conduct routine inspections um, particularly in 2020 at the start of the pandemic so I know that um, they significantly ramped back inspection activity um, in the um, pharmaceutical manufacturing sector as well and so I'm assuming you know there were the same effects for uh, food producers including mm -hmm. you know Abbott and, and baby formula plants. So I'm wondering if, if the decreased inspection activity had something to do with this. Um, but in this particular instance, I'd say the FDA's hands were tied. They couldn't really send inspectors out. They were really trying to limit um, any sort of contact, right, to prevent the spread of COVID-19. So I think this is tricky. Um, and I think to your point about, you know, will Abbott's reputation suffer long term? The cynical part of me wants to say no. I think that this, you know, whatever the, the results of the investigation, I think this will blow over in time. Uh, and the tricky thing, especially about um, baby formula in particular, is that oftentimes if you're relying on formula, you're relying on one type of formula because babies can be pretty picky and so sometimes parents will find the formula that their baby will accept and that's the formula they need to buy you can't really brand switch 
Um, so I think that's another kind of issue here to consider. That's a great point. I, I hadn't even considered that. And, and just from, you know, what I've heard and, and what I mentioned from that from that report from about 12 years ago, Abbott made up a massive share of the baby formula market. So I would imagine mm -hmm. millions of parents relied on on Abbott's various products um, for their children. Um, and also to your point about uh, the FDA inspections, I that that's a very good point. I just wonder um, if we were already, you know, this this happened about a year ago, and I wonder if th the FDA had started to slowly reincorporate these, uh, like you mm. know, the visits. I'm not sure if we were early on enough in the pandemic for that to have played a part, but it's certainly mm. it's certainly possible. It's certainly possible. Um, but it it it's it's uh you know it's it's bad because now they're looking into it once it's already happened it's it's sad that these things have mm -hmm. to happen and then you know they're they're looked into a year later um to to place blame or or you know figure out what actually happened um but very good yeah, points it's such, there so reactive right mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. and, and and i guess there's only so much that can be done to prevent this um but you'd hope that there's a more proactive approach taken in the future and that, you know, whatever key learnings can be taken from these situations get put into practice later. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, I do think that the FDA is really um, is really bogged down and, and understaffed. And I'm not sure that they're that they're as effective as maybe they once were or maybe um, they they set out to be. You know what I find so crazy about this whole story is that they are pinpointing it to like one Michigan facility that was like the center of a national shortage. Like, do they know how many babies there are in the U.S.? And like, you, you know, one facility can contribute greatly to a shortage. I find that kind of hard to wrap my head around that. Yeah, that's to your point about, um, you know, that that much baby food coming out of one factory. I think the Michigan plant, the Michigan plant is their main baby food uh, production site. Um, but that's a like that's a to extrapolate. I mean, that's such a problem when when we actually when things like this happen because um, had it had it been more evenly distributed, um, you know, among other facilities, this may not be as big of a problem. Um, so that's definitely something Abbott needs to look into and other companies that uh, where the majority of production happens at, at one site. It's it's yeah, especially with something like baby food that's so necessary and, and people rely on it so much. Um, but yeah, I completely agree. Um, I, I also think we're going to be seeing um, maybe some some whistleblower um, reports. Um, Maybe this was uh, something that was shoved under the table um, and they had known about it before. I'm not sure. That's that's again, like me being a little bit cynical. But I whenever a major corporation comes under investigation, it's never just, oh, you know, they, they made a mistake. It's I feel like we're going to uncover some 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 dirt. Um, but I unfortunately also don't think they'll really suffer too much in the long run. Um, because they have so many other products and in 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 medicine and in pharma like across the spectrum so i think they'll end up doing okay but i really do hope they're held accountable and and this never happens again i think this just is another example of the fragility of the 
supply chain, food supply chain in particular. And, um, you know, you, you think that there are all of these manufacturing facilities and all of these different, you know, brands and products. And then when something like this happens and you see the downstream effects it has and the huge shortage and you realize, you know, one company is making up um, most of the business here. Uh, I, I, yeah, it speaks to the um, how one thing can have such a, a downstream effect on, you know, the whole food supply chain. And, and there's just been so much of that, right, in the past few years. Yes, Sarah, I, I, I completely agree. And like, obviously, it's it's not just with baby food, but, um, you know, other 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 food items as well. Um, and sometimes it's not always uh, in the hands of someone necessarily. It could have to do with environmental uh, issues, um, you know, shortages. But this one, you know, baby food doesn't grow in the ground. So it's very easy to, to, to pin it back to this plant. Um, but yeah, very, very fragile. Um, and it really shouldn't be. But yeah, I hope we uh, I hope we get some answers. All right, moving on. So the next story looks at a new um, technology that could definitely help uh, some labor shortages in the food service industry. So I would say we're relatively out of the pandemic and we're in this sort of post-pandemic economy, but labor is still challenging and the food service industry is looking to automate some menial work to encourage longer employee tenure. And so far, we've seen autonomous servers, fry cooks, and even delivery robots. But what about robot dishwashers? And I know what you might be thinking, um, and that's why I phrased it this way rather than... um, something else you might be thinking well there are dishwashers that's that's a thing that exists and they run relatively autonomously um but robot dishwashers are a little bit different and and i'll explain how so there's an artificial intelligence startup called nala robotics and it might be able to solve the food services labor shortage with its technology so what are these robot dishwashers As automation takes over kitchens, 61% of uh, restaurant operators believe that dishwashers can be automated with existing tech, according to a Capterra survey. Robot dishwashers could become the new norm thanks to technology from Nala Robotics, which shifts the dishwashing responsibilities to Spotless, which is the name of its robot dishwasher. So in a press release, um, AJ Sankara, its CEO, um, said, Our revolutionary patented dishwashing system allows operators to overcome staffing challenges and never miss a smudge. We've heard countless stories from managers and owners who had to pull double duty because the dishwasher didn't show up for work. By installing our robot, they'll never have to worry about turnaround time and every dish will be spotless. So how does it work? First, the robot dishwasher does a preliminary rinse and identifies the item it's holding via a camera at the back. So just to give you a bit of a visual, um, it's 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 got like a robotic arm component um, and that's what it's talking about there. So it's able to see what it's picking up. And then based on whether it's a utensil, a plate or another piece of tableware, the robot arm identifies the best algorithm to handle this particular item and it begins the cleaning process. The robot also knows when to use a gentler touch like for a wine glass. 
And according to Nala Robotics, the entire process, from cleaning and drying to stacking and storing, takes just as long or even less time than a human dishwasher. Spotless also requires a relatively small um, operational footprint, um, measuring two feet by two feet, so it's relatively small. And Nala's current business model allows restaurants to lease Spotless on a monthly basis for almost $3,000 a month, which is a pretty hefty price tag, but I'll get your take on that shortly. And currently, the robot dishwasher has been deployed in several non-commercial kitchens like hospitals and living centers and will soon be utilized at a national diner chain. The company is also working on a second mobile robot that is designed for smaller spaces and can move around from station to station to replicate human multitasking. So to answer the question that I sort of posed at the beginning, it differs from a dishwasher that we're used to seeing in our homes uh, in that it does the entire process from cleaning to stacking and even storing. And in the actual story, um, I posted a video from the company and you can see the robot starting, uh, you know, from, from start to finish uh, how it how the procedure works um, and it's very very standard to have uh, you know human dishwashers in restaurants aside you know um, rather than actual dishwashers uh, just because they can do the entire process um, from start to finish but this robot is aiming to sort of you know replicate that and do a better job um, and it thinks that it can do it just as well as a human and this isn't the only thing that the company um, has, has come out with. The company also announced a partnership with food service equipment vendor Hatco Corp to develop a fully compact, sorry, a compact, fully autonomous robotic pizza making system for convenience stores, quick service restaurants, ghost kitchens, and other commercial settings. Um, the system is called Pizzaiola, uh, which comes equipped with natural language processing features and can respond to voice menu orders at the point of sale or operational commands in the kitchen. And it operates a little bit larger within a 10 foot by 10 foot space and can be customized as a pizzeria style eatery with expanded menu items such as pasta, salads, burgers, and wings. And it's a little bit more expensive than uh, the dishwasher starting at $7,000 a month. But as for um, the automated dishwasher spotless, um, do you think that $3,000 a month is too hefty of a price tag? And if we're going to compare that to hiring a human, um, obviously, which comes equipped with human error, uh, whereas the robot will always be there. Um, how do you how would you compare that? Um, and do you think that it's good that this company is, is aiming to replace jobs that aren't necessarily, um, you know, don't have the highest rate of uh, retention. Well, I think it's like a really smart business move from Nala Robotics to rent out their robot instead of just selling it for a one-time big fee. And at least like the standard of living in Ontario, I think that would be an okay price um, for our standard of living and like wages here. Um, I mean, I feel like it, the renting out the robot is still cheaper than a human worker. And yes, it will never miss a shift. And apparently it's it's um, it does a better job than humans sometimes. It's really cool to watch the video of it because um, it, it, it stores it stores everything too. It, it stores everything on shelves, which is really cool to watch. And I like that it can identify what it's washing. Um, so I definitely encourage you to, to watch that video because it's, it's very cool. But yeah, I, I agree. It, it seems like a hefty price tag, but if, if they're paying a human, I would imagine it would be 
around the same, maybe a little bit less. Maybe a lot less. <laughs> a lot less. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah no, I was going to say, yeah. oh, go ahead, Aisha. Oh, no, it's okay. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, no, I was going to say the same thing as Vera that I think uh, it's so smart to have that subscription model. I feel like uh, almost every new company, whether they're actually producing a, a physical product or like a um, software, everyone wants the subscription model now because it's guaranteed revenue. It's not like a one and done thing. Um, and I'm wondering if if there's any like service plan that goes along with that, because I can see that, you know, there might be issues from time to time with the, the um robot breaking down and maybe you need to call someone out to like look at something or even just like maintenance wonder if they have that kind of package like built into that price I think that's kind of a value add um, as opposed to owning a piece of equipment and then having to pay out of pocket for any sort of maintenance or repair um, I, I think it's uh, yeah but to what you said Aisha you're probably paying less for a human dishwasher. I would think so. Yeah. Even because that, that's like forty thousand dollars a year, 40, right? 50, for I think. Even fit yeah. Yeah. Uh, three thousand a so month is forty five ish probably. Three thousand a month? Is it? 40, it's thirty six a year. Thousand a year. In Ontario. Like three thousand dollars a month is thirty six K. Over twelve yeah. months, right? Yeah. Okay. So, so that's what the I'm thinking Ontario is, taxes. <laughs> right. Salary oh, you're yeah. thinking, okay, you're thinking how much it would be to pay a dishwasher versus how much this thing would be to yeah. lease out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I think this is still a bit more costly, but um, it's probably worth it for for companies. For And it depends on the restaurant, right? If we're talking about big chains, I mean, they have the money to spend yeah. versus, you know, mom and pop, you know, type shops and restaurants. So... Um, it really depends on who the target business is. And um, I think for bigger chains, uh, they'd probably be happy to try something like this out. Sydney, do you know if uh, this is available to purchase or it's just a subscription model right now? To my knowledge, it's just a subscription okay. model. And, and it doesn't mention anywhere in the press release about whether um, maintenance and service is included. It said that... Um, it, it seems to be all-inclusive. I would think so, if, especially mm -hmm. if it's, you know, a rental. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. there's probably, yeah. Yeah, like it's a software upgrade there. or something. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, yeah, I wonder, like, how this stacks up to other monthly subscription-based costs that a restaurant would have. So, like, you know, their, their POS system that they use or... Mm. Um, their like order management kind of system like I've got no frame of reference for how much that yeah, software exactly, right? costs yeah. and and I know like some of those would be again more of a subscription thing than an outright like here's the cost of this program so it's I guess it's hard for us to say like does this seem like a lot of money I I think you know what? It sounds like a lot on a monthly basis. I guess it depends on like what's their return on investment from this, like from not having a human doing this. Maybe they can um, increase their like output, like maybe they can serve people more quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess that goes down to yeah, individual restaurants or um, uh, chains what their their cost benefit analysis of it would be and it's new technology too right so i think you're always paying a, pre a premium for that but um i think that's interesting you said sydney that they're already going to be using it in a 
nationwide diner chain, but they didn't mention Mm-mm. they didn't mention a name there. So we'll have to keep an eye out for more information on that. Yeah, they kept that a surprise. Um, and and what's funny is like you know as the customer. Uh, we would be none the wiser, I would imagine. We would have no idea what's what's going on. This is really just for food service. Um, and and I, I totally agree. This this subscription model is absolutely brilliant. Um, they probably get you on a contract. Um, maybe they even have a, uh, like, try it for a month and see if you like it sort of thing. I can't imagine they would do that for free. But um, it, it kind of is beneficial to both the company and, um, you know, the food service provider as well. Um, and yeah, it would probably take some time to figure out whether it would be worth it um, as opposed to hiring a person. Uh, but just in terms of sort of um, limiting the risk of, of someone not showing up to work, and that's a pretty crucial job, but it's a very it's very menial work that people don't really want to do, and I can definitely understand why. So they are definitely fulfilling a um, a need uh, that's that's uh, that that I really like to see. Uh, and and this pizza maker is actually um, you know it's a little bit more involved as well. It's clear that this company um, focuses on robotics and automated technology for for the food industry. Uh, they also have a video um, of this of this pizza. Um, restaurant so to speak um and it's 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 very cool as well um and obviously that comes with a heftier price tag since it's actually making the food um at seven thousand dollars a month but i can after this conversation i i think the the price is justified i don't think they're really they're they're not really ripping you off um but yeah uh it remains to be seen whether uh this will pick up steam because it's it's sort of in its pilot trial era at the moment um but they they're looking for customers that's for sure yeah there might be you know energy and cost savings in terms of Mm, um you know the energy efficiency maybe this robot offers in terms of usage of electricity water you know so that you know you may yeah so it just might be overall more energy efficient like a dishwasher is supposed to be well the dishwashers these days like in uh, res- like residential dishwashers are supposed to be more energy efficient than washing dishes by hand. So that might be a component as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and I wonder, you know, I wonder if, uh, for example, if it if it misses a spot, which it claims mm-hmm. that it wouldn't do. Um, Imagine an alarm going off. <laughs> <laughs> like you can't give the robot a finger wagging, you know, you uh. like <laughs> maybe you email the company. But I I, uh, I don't know. It would like, you know, robots make mistakes, too. I can't imagine this thing is absolutely flawless in its and it's, uh, uh, you know, cleaning abilities. But um Maybe it, maybe it will be over time. I just, I wonder like who, you know, if a customer gets a, a dirty dish or something, um, how are they going to explain that to the customer? Oh, sorry, the robot wasn't malfunctioning at its, <laughs> at its best today. The robot is just, it was having an off day today. But I guess that's the point of robots. They don't have off days. All right. Well, that's the end of this episode of the X Talks Food Podcast. If you like today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, everyone, and see you next week. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the X Talks Food Industry Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues, and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find X Talks on social media. 
email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalks.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.